Hello, everybody. Dr. Lonnie Stewart here from the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Are you a physical therapy student about to start studying for the National Physical Therapy Examination? Or maybe you're a professor, a program director, or a clinical instructor who teaches DPT students preparing for the NPTE? Either way, we would recommend checking out our sponsor, NPTE Final Frontier, and the community they've built around preparing for and succeeding on the NPTE. That exam and the preparation that goes along with it can be long, tedious, difficult, and stress-inducing, but it doesn't have to be. NPTE Final Frontier has the tactics and resources to help address all of the usual barriers. They even have scholarships to help with NPTE study courses, FSBPT registration fees, and even research opportunities. And if that's not enough, they're even donating to the very first annual HET Podcast Scholarship to be awarded at the end of every year. Go to NPTEFF.com for all of the details and use code HET for 10% off all purchases. Links to both the NPTE Final Frontier and their scholarship options are available in the show notes. And now, let's get ready to learn. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field. And we've got a special episode today. It's going to be a little bit different than most of our episodes. It is somewhat of a guest interview, although it's a guest interview with myself. So it'll be a little bit more like a talking head episode where really we just kind of wanted to give you a little bit of an update on what to expect when starting in the world of academia, because we've had a lot of questions about this. And so I figured I'd just kind of put together a, a brief episode on my journey and my experience. Obviously, everybody's will be different, but, uh, you know, there are some commonalities that kind of run amongst the academic side of things uh, when it comes to healthcare academia. So without further ado, away we go. The first thing that I'll say is going from clinical to academia is a bit of a career shock. It's a shakeup. I was warned ahead of time by three or four of my old professors and mentors that it would be an absolute career change. And even though they told me that, I feel like I still didn't want to believe it. I was fortunate enough to be working full-time clinically uh, and get my first teaching job as an adjunct for a hybrid program. Uh, and that was a, a good introduction for me. It was a good way to kind of start my teaching journey. I didn't even know when I was applying, quote unquote, for, for a job uh, in academia that I needed a CV, not a resume. And so that's one of the first steps that uh, I had to take. I had to ask a couple people how to write a CV. And luckily they were able to kind of show me the way and I put one together. So boom, now I have a CV. Well, what do you do with that? Well, you start applying to, to jobs and positions. And again, my very first teaching position was not typical in that I didn't apply for it right out of the gate. I kind of uh, networked my way into an opportunity. I had a couple of the folks from the program on the HET podcast to talk about it. Went to their open house, got to meet everybody, rub elbows with all the, the decision makers and the people that were involved in starting the hybrid program. I just said, hey, if, uh, if you ever need anybody, I live locally here, so feel free to reach out. I'd be glad to help. And sure enough, uh, about a week or two before they got started, they had somebody kind of drop out in a position that I could help with. 
And uh, so they asked if, if I'd be interested in teaching still. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll give it a try. And so that's how I got started. And I think that's a big thing that people grossly underestimate, especially in the world of academia, is networking. As I got my first full-time job now, the same thing happened. It was a, a networking thing. I was back in clinical 100% full-time. I didn't think I was going to teach. And then COVID hit. And with my wife being a type 1 diabetic, I didn't want to risk bringing that home to her if possible. And the uh, place I was working at was kind of trying to force us into a COVID-only unit. And I just didn't feel good about doing that. Uh, so they were like, well, you got to choose. And I said, all right, that's fine. I resigned. And that same week, the head of the program emailed me and said, hey, you know, are you still interested in teaching? And I said, well, I wasn't, but uh, I'm a free agent now. So what do you got? Turns out the position was a perfect fit for me. A lot of geriatrics, a lot of patient care, transfers, gate training, stuff like that which is all stuff I'd been doing in the geriatric world for the last five to seven years. So having the EDD uh, definitely helped. And that's how I kind of got into my first full-time core faculty position. So again, it was, it was network. It was uh, somebody had recommended me because they thought I'd be a good fit to the program director. And the program director actually knew me because I graduated with my EDD from there as well. So uh, we had talked about it a little bit at graduation, and that was about 2018. And I said, no, I'm going to go back clinical for a while. The uh, dissertation kind of burnt me out a little bit, so uh, I think I'm done with academia for a while. But uh, again, having a terminal degree, having that EDD helped me greatly uh, because I was ready to go. I was plug and play. I had the experience in the courses that they needed, and I had a terminal degree. So it was um, right place, right time. I'm not a huge believer in luck. I'm a, I'm a believer in planning and, and doing the best you can and working hard for a long time. And if that happens, then eventually opportunities will come your way and you'll be able to pounce on them because you did the right things for a long time and now you're prepared when those opportunities come. Uh, and that's exactly what happened to me. And that's how I got my first uh, foray into full-time teaching. I will say that uh, it is a career shift. I was warned this, uh, again, like I said, by several of my professors and my mentors. And I just figured I knew the stuff. I'd been doing it for years. I could just show up and teach. Well, teaching is a bit of an art form. Uh, I've learned that from my dad, if anything. Uh, he taught English for 30 some odd years and uh, he was really good at it. And I think seeing him work, it really was like watching an artist, you know, paint a masterpiece because these kids, a lot of times had no desire to learn. They didn't want to know about the classics. They didn't want to read the books. They didn't want to do the writing, the homework and everything. And he really did a great job of getting them on board and getting buy-in so that at the very least, even if they weren't interested, they would at least do enough to get by and move on to the next grade and hopefully, you know, graduate eventually and go out into the real world and be a, some sort of positive influence on society. So the thing that I learned the most when I first started teaching as an adjunct was that you need a style or a flow. And so for me, going from clinical to academia I really didn't have any sort of style or flow. I just, again, thought I could show up and teach, but uh, not having any experience, you have to start somewhere. You have to start learning. Luckily, my EDD kind of prepared me. I didn't finish it yet when I first started teaching. I was in the middle of it still, but I learned a lot about how we learn and then how to teach to that learning, especially with regards to adult learning. 
I get into my first teaching job. I, I, I teach two courses adjunct. I think I do a fair job. I, you know, I don't think it was anything extraordinary. I don't think it was really that bad. It was just, you know, fair. Um, the feedback that I got was, yeah, you got to find your own style and flow and that'll come. It just takes a little while. And so my first foray into full-time teaching, first semester, I got to just kind of sit back and observe and watch the courses I was going to teach and kind of chip in and help out. Uh, and then the next semester I, I taught, right? So I had a little bit of prep time, which was nice. I got to, to actually see how other people taught the courses I was going to teach. Uh, then it was up to me and I, and I kind of had to take uh, my own my own swing at it. In the big picture of things, I think realizing how different it was to go from clinical to academia, it really took me about three semesters overall to get a good grasp on what my job was, right? What my actual new occupation was. And it was taking a lot of the clinical and the life experiences and being able to craft that into stories and into examples and into case studies and into things that were going to help the next generation of clinicians really learn not only the stuff they need to learn, the basics, the foundations, the golden rules, if you will, from the textbook, right? The gold standards. But then also injecting a little bit of my life experiences and, and my what I've seen out there in the real world. And so once I started to get that, once I started to figure that out, I've been able to do a very good balance since then. Uh, we're looking at, what, three years now of experience in teaching. And I've been able to kind of inject my stories and my, my life experiences into my courses more seamlessly now. Still got a lot of work to do. But there's some really key takeaways and key stories that I have that help really hammer home some, some ideas, some of the basic ideas. And then there's other stories that really go off the beaten path a little bit. However, they're necessary to show that, hey, look, patients aren't always textbook. As a matter of fact, most of your patients probably won't be textbook. But you have to know the, the starting point, right? You have to know the baseline. And that's where the textbook and the gold standard starts. And then it's up to you to clinically think and critically think through what's different about this patient and how would I address that? So that being said, it's taken me some time, about three semesters, probably a full year, a trimesters to really hone in my, my style, my teaching style, my craft, my flow. Now that I've got that going, I'm working on it. I'm getting better at it. I'm taking the feedback that students give me and I'm, I'm applying it to get better. Well, then if... You look at the bigger picture of teaching and you zoom out. I kind of just thought that I would show up and teach, right? That was my job was to show up and teach classes, right? Set the syllabi, give quizzes, tests, assignments, practicals, labs, and then give grade, right? And move on. Well, teaching uh, in, in higher education and, and academia requires so much more than that. And I don't think I was ready for that aspect of things. In my university, uh, teaching is the biggest portion of what we do. It's about 50% of our workload. On top of that, we have two to two and a half other pillars that make up the rest of what we do. One of those pillars is research. One of those pillars is service. And that can kind of be broken down into like two parts, right? Like service to the university, service to the community, and then also service to students. Or if you want to break that off into a totally third pillar, uh, it would be something like 
mentoring and advising students. Every university is going to be a little bit different. Some universities are, are considered R1 universities where they take research as a primary goal. You have to put together research and, you know, it's one of those uh, publish or perish situations where you really have to produce some sort of scientific output uh, at a regular basis to kind of not only keep your job, but uh, get a promotion or get tenure. Tenure to me is, is kind of dying these days. It doesn't seem like it's uh, sticking around much longer. But some, some universities still have, still have it, still go by it. In our situation, again, only half of my workload is teaching. The other half is, is the other stuff, right? And truth be told, I actually enjoy a lot of the other stuff. It can just be a lot if the workload's not proportioned appropriately. So again, if 50% of your time is, is teaching uh, and the other 50%, you know, let's say we divide it into... I don't know, 15, 15, and 15, right? That's about 45%. And then you have five to kind of have a little wiggle room. If we kind of look at your day-to-day, -day, right? In a 40-hour work week, 20 of those hours should be allotted to teaching. The other 20 need to be divided up into research, into service, and into students or mentoring and or advising students or service to students, right? So again, if we kind of break those down, right, you got 20 more hours and you've got about six hours per section then to divide it up. One of the ways that you can get researched hours, obviously, is, you know, do your own research, right? Start a research project, bring some other people in, work on another research project with people, write a grant. I'm, I'm just attempting my first ever grant now. And uh, it's a lot. It's a beast, you know, so I feel like I need to work on that a little bit and, and figure out how to do that, who to bring in, who to work with, you know, talk with people who've done it before, have them take a look at the grant, see what that's like. Right. But I only have about six hours a week to work on that grant. So it's a slow moving process. And on top of that, there's deadlines, right? So some grants are due by a certain date. Some grants are due. It's a rolling admission where you can just submit whenever. You know, I'm just trying to figure out the process. But on top of that, I, I really need to work on, you know, probably two other research projects too. So if we're working on a grant and two research projects, one of my own and one of somebody else's, and I'm trying to help out and I have six hours to do that, it's something like three hours for the grant per week two hours for my research project and one hour for that other person's research project. So your time is really starting to get eaten up. Now, if we look at community service or service to the university, my dissertation was in service-based learning. So I'm a big believer in community service and, and teaching through service. But that being said, again, I only have about six hours per week where I can do that stuff. A lot of the projects that I have are, are assignments uh, in some of my classes where the students get to do service-based learning. They do a community service project that they have to write a reflection paper on, what they learned from it. And that's kind of the key to service-based learning. Uh, I try to volunteer time when I can, where I can, because I own my own businesses too. I've been able to donate to these uh, nonprofit organizations and places where I used to maybe give time for community service and I just don't have it anymore. So donations been key for me. That's been nice to have that option. On top of that, you can get service to the university by sitting on committees and boards. So I currently sit on a bunch of committees, the appeals committee, the admissions committee, the student leadership advisory board. I am our flex program liaison for that. So, uh, 
any student programs uh, that want to, you know, get started or need help or whatever, uh, or need recommendations, we serve as the advisory board for that. I've also been the one of the co-founders and the faculty liaison for the Business Entrepreneurs and Private Practice Student Special Interest Group. So we started that on our campus and it's now available at all five of our campuses. And so there's, there's just a bunch of committees and, and boards and things you can sit on that help A, the university, task forces, uh, anytime there's an initiative or something that needs to be done, they look for people to step up and volunteer for those things to push the needle forward, to move things forward on this, this initiative. There's always plenty of boards and chairs to, to sit on, right? There's always plenty of committees that need help. So finding those projects, not a problem. The key there, I believe, is really finding the ones that align with your goals and your North Star. So for me, a lot of it is business and leadership, a little bit of obviously geriatrics and service-based learning. So anything that I can do that ties in with those can be pretty important. Um, those are kind of task forces, committees, and boards that I want to get involved with because that is the stuff that drives me. And that's the stuff that I'm passionate about. And now for a quick shout out to our newest sponsor, Varela Financial. If you're a physical therapist and you have student loan debt, you got to talk to these guys. What makes them unique is that they view financial planning like running hurdles on a track. And for PTs, the first hurdle many of us run into is student loan debt. Varela Financial will help you get over that hurdle. They not only take the time to explain to you which plans you individually qualify for and how those plans work, but they also take the time to show you what your individual case looks like mapped out within each option. So if you're looking for help on your student loan debt or any area of personal finances, we recommend working with them. I use Varela Financial personally, and they were able to help me lower my student loan repayment from about $1,800 a month down to about $135 per month simply by finding the right repayment plan that best fit me, my family, and our life goals. You can check them out at varelafinancial.com. Link is in the show notes if you need it for reference, and tell them the HET podcast crew sent you. And now back to the show. And then obviously any community service that you do. So I'm currently on a board for a mental health organization. And so I kind of help with that. And that's the Anxiety Solutions of America. Knowing that I've always had some sort of learning disability or some sort of issue uh, with learning throughout my entire career from undergrad to grad school and beyond. I was recently tested and got diagnosed with ADHD. That was uh, about a year ago. Since finding that out, again, I've already made it this far. I feel like I've had a pretty successful career, not knowing that it was ADHD, but knowing there was something going on. So now I, I've found it kind of helpful to try to tell my story and show people, hey, here's the compensation techniques that I've used throughout the years to try to get to this point uh, and that have helped me be somewhat successful. And I did that all without knowing I had ADHD or taking any medications or anything like that. So if I can do it, you can do it, you know, and I hope my story is somewhat uh, inspiring to those folks. But that's kind of where I give some community service time. We meet uh, about 30 minutes a week, two hours per month. And then I've also done a lot of like screenings and volunteer things for like falls prevention and wellness and stuff like that through, uh, through our church. I volunteer at our, my son's little league. Uh, help coach there. So like, you know, any, any sort of 
opportunity I have where I can incorporate community service, I try to do that as well. I've started helping out a little bit with my daughter. She's in middle school and uh, her middle school teens, just as a kind of a consultant, uh, you know, uh, I'll attend a lot of the games and things, but if the school needs uh, an injury recommendation or anything like that, uh, they have athletic trainers, but also I told them, hey, you know, I'm a physical therapist. If you need anything, you know, I'm here. So I've been able to kind of work with them a little bit on stuff like that. So that's kind of where I give my community time. Uh, that's a little more sporadic, but it is there. It's something I do. And then the last section, like I said, is uh, service to the students or advising and mentoring for the students. And that becomes a little bit more individualized. Uh, obviously, I have office hours, two hours per week, uh, every Tuesday. And then I make appointments by, by schedule because we are a flex program and we have weekend hours too available uh, on some weekends to kind of help and work through things and talk through things with students. And that can be things like uh, just not understanding a certain topic or, or something in one of my classes, right? That can be something like struggling with a different class and not seeing eye to eye with the professor or not sure what they're looking for or how they can do better in the class, right? Uh, that can be something like uh, having a tough time at home, having some, some family struggles, mental health issues, psychological issues, things like that, right? Health issues. Uh, not all things I can address directly, but at least I can guide them and get them to the right person on campus that can help them with those problems and with those struggles. Um, and then it's just a lot of career development and planning. I have a lot of students that come to me later in the curriculum and say, hey, you know, I know you run your own business. I know you've done a lot of things. You've been in a lot of settings. What should I do? You know, what, what, what should I do with my life? Once I graduate, what do I do? And it's like, all right, well, let's figure it out, right? Let's find your passions. Let's find your North Star and let's, let's dive into those. The good thing about physical therapy is there's so many options. Once you graduate, if you try one option, you don't like it. There's eight different options waiting for you around the corner. It's never something to be worried about in the world of physical therapy. There's always plenty of opportunity and plenty of options. That's kind of what I do with regards to student mentoring. You know, I make sure they're keeping their grades up, that they're using appropriate time management and studying skills, you know, and then I guide them to the people on campus to help with things like mental health or physical health or difficult situations at home, things like that. Uh, we have counseling services and, and mental health services uh, on campus, so I can guide them and direct them to who to talk to uh, to get help for that. And that is service to the students and mentoring, guiding the students. So in a nutshell, those are all the things that are involved when it comes to moving into academia. Every university is going to be different for the most part, but there's that, that key theme, really. It's, it's mostly a tripod, right? It's, it's teaching, research, and service. Those are the big three. And then they get divided up in different ways for, for different universities for different reasons. The ratios can be different. Uh, you know, if you're an R1 university, maybe research is 50% of your, your workload and teaching is only 25 and service is 25 or something like that. Or maybe it's 50%, 30%, and then 20% on service, something like that, right? It's going to be different everywhere, but for the most part, that tripod is the, the baseline. That's like the key, the foundation that most academics work off. Within that, uh, if we, again, take a, a little bit bigger look and bigger view of things, the university has to be a good fit for you, given that the tripod is there and, 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 you know, those are the three things you're going to have to do as an academic. 
you have to make sure that you're at a place where the things that you love most and want to do most are in your favor and are a good fit for you. So I, I prefer teaching to research and, you know, the community service part as well. So like having a ratio where 50% of my workload is teaching is beneficial to me. I enjoy that, but I still get to dabble in the others as well. If you're super into research and you just want to do research, 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 and then teach a little bit on the side, then an R1 university may be a better fit for you. So it's finding that good fit. You know, it's really looking into things as far as, hey, the people there uh, are people that I like, I get along with, they're really interesting, they're working on cool things, I want to help work on some of those things. These are the subject areas they need help with, I can teach those, I'm good at those, I'm an expert at those. These are all things that you kind of have to consider when, when making the leap into academia. Then as far as, like we said, the tenure track and or promotion track, in order to kind of move up the ladder, so to speak, uh, again, our university doesn't have tenure, but we do have a promotion track that goes from assistant professor to associate professor to full professor. After that, the only thing really higher than that would be something like a program director or a dean. Really high up the ladder, you, you end up as chief chief academic officer or CEO and president of the university, whatever, right? So those are some of the higher admin positions, which we can talk about a little bit. But if we're just looking at getting into teaching and starting there, you know, really you have to find that good fit. And then once you're in there, you have to look at what the tenure track entails or what the promotion track entails, right? In order to do those things, you're going to have to hit some key markers along the way. So for an R1 university, it may be you have to publish two articles per year, something like that, right? In order to hit tenure. And you need to do that for three to five years or something like that, right? You also need to hit X amount of presentations at conferences or posters, peer-reviewed talks, whatever it may be. For us, like I said, we don't have tenure, but we do have that promotion track. So every five years, we're required to publish uh, on a peer-reviewed journal, uh, at least two, two publications within the five years, and then X amount of conferences, right? Peer-reviewed uh, conference presentations and peer-reviewed poster presentations as well. So there's several things that you have to hit. And there's other, other little things as well, sitting on boards, committees, right? Being a, a chairperson of some committee or whatever. And journal article clubs and things like that. There's other things that you have to do to kind of check the boxes for promotion. But once you do that, you move up the ladder, you can keep going until again, you hit full professor. And then that's kind of your, your limit there at that point, at which point then uh, after a couple of years in that position, you can look to move up to either a program director. If that position comes available, you can look towards a position like a dean or a provost, they call them sometimes in some universities. But yeah, there's, there's different options for you once you climb the ladder, right? And all your life experiences and all the things you've done for the university uh, can help you get to those positions you want to get to eventually. It's definitely a process. It's a long-term goal thing. It's not something you just kind of, every year you move up and you do things and you get there, right? It's it takes some planning. It takes a lot of development, career development, planning and looking and goal setting for three to five years uh, and then even a 10 year and then have those goals switch and move with you as you achieve them and as things change a little bit. Doing research, publishing, going to conferences, presenting, creating posters and, and presenting those, getting those accepted. All these peer review things that you can do help you with your career as an academician. 
And again, it goes back to just being more than just teaching, right? We're not just uh, showing up and teaching every day like I thought it would be. There's a lot more involved to that. That being said, I've enjoyed just about all of it. It is difficult. It's not easy to just show up and start teaching. Uh, you do need to learn your, your own skill, uh, your craft, your own style. It's nice when you first get started, especially if you have a program director who's looking out for you and who is uh, knowledgeable and, and looking to help you succeed, that they help you set some sort of research agenda or some sort of plan for you for the next uh, three to five years of things, uh, areas of interest, things you really want to dive into, things you might want to do some research on or work with people to research things on. There's tons of resources at the university as well that help professors, especially new professors, get started. We were given two mentors, one within our program and one who kind of taught our classes, the classes we taught. There is a lot of like new professor um, learning. We have a whole online platform that teach us things like, you know, just how to use technology for things, different teaching styles, different methods. So, so the opportunities are there. The, um, the learning tools are there, right? The resources are there. The library has been a phenomenal resource too. The librarians have been great for, you know, showing me how to find research articles, how to organize them, how to use tools like Zotero and uh, I had to use uh, EndNote when I was writing my dissertation. I've switched over now to Zotero, which is a nice organizational tool for for research documents and whatnot. But there's a ton out there that that you know you need to learn. I felt literally like I was lost my first full year of teaching. I was learning something new every day. I didn't know this. I didn't know that. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I didn't know we could do that. Oh, I didn't know I had to do that. Right. I think one of the big things when you make that transition in the first year is, like I said, find your own teaching style, learn as much as you can about how adults learn and how we can teach to that learning. Plenty of books and references and resources and, and even a lot of the HET episodes uh, talk about that. So go back and dive into some of those. Those are helpful. Realistically, in that first year, if you can kind of find your way and start to come into your own then I think it becomes a lot smoother transition moving forward, but you have to give yourself grace. In that first year, realize it's like almost like you're a rookie all over again. You're starting in a new sport, right? You played baseball for, for five years, 10 years, and you, you were really good at it. But now you're getting a little older, a little more seasoned, so you're transitioning over to golf now, right? And uh, you're pretty decent at golf, right? You were pretty good at baseball and you're pretty decent at golf, but you're starting all over again. Brand new sport, brand new field. So you've got to give yourself grace for that transition period. And uh, luckily I was, I was able to do that. And that's just kind of my demeanor. That's, that's what I do. So didn't beat myself up over it too bad. The first year made a, a handful of really big mistakes, um, but learned from them, got better and uh, luckily have not made them again. So I, I think I've learned from it. So that's my journey. That's uh, my transition from clinical to academia. I uh, hope it's helpful for some. I hope if you guys have any questions about if teaching is right for you, if you think you may want to get started and try it out, um, we've got a ton of good information for you and we you know, would love to answer your questions. Please feel free to tag us on any of the social medias at HET Podcast and one of our co-hosts will jump in and, and answer your question and hopefully we'll have a good conversation about that. We'd be glad to do it. I'm also always available uh, on social media. I'm pretty readily available there at PT Educator. That's all the, the socials. And then feel free to shoot us an email at hetpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to answer your questions there as well. 
And as a little bit of a teaser here and a bit of a surprise for you all, uh, we also at the HET podcast have some pretty good resources coming out for this stuff. We do have our first ever HET journal, which is a cool little, I guess it's basically a weekly episode from Teach Me Something Tuesday. And this goes back to last season. Last season's Teach Me Something Tuesday episodes, there's one per week. Uh, and so each one will have a little takeaway of what the Teach Me Something Tuesday episode was about, what you took from it. The journal will have a bunch of you know blank space for you to write what you would have taken from that takeaway. And then how you're going to implement it into your teaching style and or learning style if you're a student. So that journal should be out shortly. And then we also have two courses coming out too in the very near future. Uh, the first one is about how to get a job in PTA academia. Uh, for those of you looking to maybe dabble or get started in teaching and, and PTA is more your speed or, or it's a better option or it's located closer or you know, whatever the PTA programs are constantly looking for people, especially as new ones start up. So if you want to help out and start teaching in one of those, we have a course on how to get involved with that and how to get a job in PTA academia. Then we have another one coming out as well shortly after that on how to get a job in DPT academia. So uh, we've taken all of our knowledge and expertise as co-hosts of the HET podcast. We've thrown it into short, digestible courses so that you can figure out, navigate the best way to not only get a job in academia, in the world of physical therapy, but also thrive and not just survive. We've taken a lot of our mistakes and our missteps. Uh, we've interviewed a bunch of people on what they wish they knew going into academia and what program directors wish new people knew when they were coming into academia. So we feel like it's going to be a pretty, pretty helpful group of resources for you. So Keep an eye out for those. There'll be more announcements on those as they come. I uh, hope this was helpful. And like I said, please reach out to us with any questions. Uh, we'd love to help you. And we will see you on the next episode. Well, I hope that episode was entertaining as much as it was informational and educational. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, we ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. And please share out the episodes to those who you feel may be able to benefit from them. We also urge you to follow us on all social media platforms at HET Podcast and let us know what topics or experts you would like to hear from in future episodes. And just as a reminder, none of the information on today's show should be considered medical advice. It's simply infotainment or edutainment to help educate our audience. For medical advice, we always advise you to reach out to your preferred medical professionals, and we'll see you on the next show.